watch horror business driving late at night psycho 78 12 o'clock don't be late i said all this horror business greetings and salutations my name is justin lore and i'm liam o'donnell and you are listening to episode 101 of horror business, the Cruella episode. <laughs> oh, the Cruella episode! I know Yo, how excited you are for that movie. So, uh, real quick. Oh, also, before you get further, we are joined today by fellow Cinepunk, an all-around amazing human being, Robert, the real deal, Scavarla. <laughs> I've never been called the real deal before, but I like. Well, it. now you have. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> so, real quick about Cruella. Um, a few weeks ago, like right after it had come out, I posted like a meme I had just seen somewhere. It was of the uh, great, you know, like the, the Grant Gustin of the Flash, like doing the peace sign next to, I think it's like Oliver Queen's tombstone. Sp- spoiler alert. Have you guys seen that? Yeah. Okay. I have not. Some, yeah. Someone had taken that and just written Cruella's mom on the tombstone and then Photoshopped like a Dalmatian's head over top of, of his face. And I don't know why. I just thought it was hilarious. I didn't think about the movie because that movie, not to be all like snooty, but like it doesn't really exist in my orbit in a way that like I mean, that I, was I, very snooty, but it's fine. No, I mean, <laughs> I'm saying like I have zero interest in seeing that movie, so I haven't really been like invested in it at all. It just like went over my head. So I posted on Instagram and a uh, friend of the podcast, Davin Bernard Jail. I always fuck up her last name. Uh, she's like, uh, spoiler alert. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? She's like, dude, you just posted a spoiler for Corella. I'm like, no, I didn't. And she's like, Corella's mom. Hello. And I'm like, do the Dalmatians kill her mom? And she's like, I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. And I'm like, they can't do that. They and do. They, That's literally and what's then in they the do. movie. Yeah. And then they fucking do. <laughs> and so fuck that movie. Cause I don't need to, I don't need, I don't need to know the fucking complex backstory of a woman who murders animals for fucking fur coats. I hope she fucking dies. And, uh, yeah, I just like, I couldn't believe that they would, that was such an, that, that was such an alien idea to me that they would make her sympathetic by having fucking Dalmatians kill her mother. It's fucking lazy writing. I, 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 hate mean, I mean, I they, mean, from what I understand, they go out of their way to make sure you know that she's actually a dog lover. She just doesn't like Dalmatians. Oh, cool. Well, you know what? I'm a dog lover, too, but I don't particularly <laughs> like black labs, but I'm not going to fucking skin black lab puppies to make a fucking fur coat. Did either of you see that uh, New York Times article where it was like, if not for the dog murder, Cruella would be a girl boss. I, I, oh, that's God. probably my favorite thing connected to the movie. Uh, OK, the only thing I'll say is, but this doesn't apply to you guys because you're not in this camp. But I will say um the idea that like why would we take villains and try to make them redeemable and likable that's actually a that's a bridge we crossed a long time ago and so like as much as i think <laughs> this movie is pretty stupid i think there's a whole like uh, lineage of stupid movies that do this same thing well what i'm saying is we're now scraping the bottom of the barrel <laughs> I, I i just know there's a there's a lot of people who are being sensitive about this issue because okay. because their feeling is that you're only mad cuz it's a woman and that every man movie that does this of which there are hundreds is like totally fine but it's not totally fine i've complained about these movies before and that's what that's 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 what What i want to make clear about like uh what's what's the woman in hellraiser who actually resurrects frank yeah 
She's she's the hero. She's the I hero love, of the movie because she just wanted love, to get fucked. I fucking and love like her. everybody else was too much of a wimp to do it, so That's she resurrected yeah. Frank. Yeah. I for one can't wait for like twenty years from now when Disney owns everything and we get the um Cletus Cassidy, the teenage years, when we find <laughs> out we find out we find out what led uh you know, a brilliant young man down a path to to, to meeting a um, you know, the rough and tumble but sensitive bodybuilder Eddie Brock in his jail cell, and then you know, that his 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 destiny. I really so like I you know, I totally get in the abstract the idea that like oh why can't we have a woman movie where it's an antihero and blah 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 and all this all this stuff that people are saying right now about this particular movie. I just don't know why it needs to be Cruella. Like yeah. what, I, what I don't get is the Disney she murders and, dogs. Yeah, I don't like, get she the, murders the, dogs. That's her thing. I don't get the Disney imperative to be like, let's take everything we made for kids and now make it for angry adults. Like the same exact, pro- like just invest in a new script. Like you're Disney. You don't actually need to make Cruella. You could make a movie about another woman who has a complicated relationship to good and evil. It doesn't have to be the childhood of the dog murderer lady from the dog movie. No, I, I just don't believe that there was actually a market for this. There was actually a bunch of fans out there going, man, they need to get this Cruella project off the ground. Like, I just don't think that that's real. I mean, what they need to do is make um, the sequel to 101 Dalmatians, the starlight barking where all of the dogs have telepathy and the world is ending. That shit would be crazy. That'd be awesome. I'd be into that. I I mean, (laughs) it's also like they can complain all they want, but like I didn't really see a need to make a movie about Maleficent, but like those movies weren't bad. Like I didn't think they were great, but I caught the first one on accident. I was like, huh, I, I don't feel like I've been cheated you know, I didn't. I didn't get Johnny Rotten at the last Sex Pistol show. <laughs> um, fuck. Whatever. Um, so it, just fucking whatever. Fuck. Fuck that movie. Fuck Disney. Fuck Disney adults, except for Carly Wazerstein. Um, and let's talk about what we're here to talk about today. And Rob, what are we talking about today? We are talking about your favorite subject, Justin. The war. My favorite people in the world. Yes. So we're talking about The Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It, the case that inspired it and the various media that came out of that case, including this Conjuring film. So this is going to be a little different from our normal template of episodes, which we talk about two movies that may or may not be connected to each other. And Liam and I yell at each other and everything. The world's <laughs> right. This is going to be kind of um, for those I, I'm going to I'm going to try not to rant too hard on this subject. Um I had written a piece for this Justin a while back on my love-hate relationship with these films, and I think I did quite a good job of um, sort of laying out how I feel about these films. And I actually did watch, uh, for the first time in a minute the other night, the original Amityville Horror, and I wasn't as sour on it as I thought I was going to be, or as I used to be. Um, mostly because I realized that the end of the movie is like man and his dog versus unspeakable evil. And I was like, that's pretty cool. And Harry's a good, Harry's a good dog. He saves, he saves the day. Um, so I'm not also, uh, Liam, you'll be happy to know. I'm going to be, I'm currently working on a new, this Justin. Finally. I know. Right. Um, (laughs) so we're just going to, you know, we're just, we're just going to talk about the impact that the Warrens and their bullshit have had in the realm of, in the realm of horror. Um, 
and we'll get into it, but I, I think it's a good time to talk about it because I think for me as a viewer, this film is more egregious than previous, at least Conjuring films. I, I'll admit I've, I have not seen all of the Annabelle movies, nor the Curse of La Llorona. Isn't that also a Warren verse film? It, 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 it depends on Loosely. who you ask and what time of day. All I'm saying yeah. is of the movies I've seen, which is all the Conjurings and one of the Annabelles, uh, oh, and one of the nuns, which There's I There's only know. one nun. Okay, so I saw the nun, I saw Annabelle. Um, is it I, Brahms, the boy, also uh, part of the universe? Fuck, is that also part of the... God damn it. Is it? I mean, it might I as well. Sure. Fuck Look, it. It, There's the, like 50 of these movies now. Here's the point. I found this to be the most Warren-y, the most pro, the most Warrens as superheroes. And I saw the response to the movie being the most upsetting, which is we're all sick of hearing about the Warrens. Let's just enjoy the movie for a movie that was like, spoiler alert, I didn't think it was very good. So I'm just ready to get on one today about this when we get into the meat of the episode. Well, yeah. So I wanted to jump in about that, specifically why it's important to continue talking about the Warrens. So people seem to think, especially in the horror community, that people only talk about the Warrens when The Conjuring comes out. And that's not true. I know specifically for me, I've been yelling about them for a few years now. I know we spoke about them on the Cinepunk pseudo documentary episode yep. I did with you back in 2017. And I talk about them pretty consistently because, you know, my thing is I write about spooky stuff and the Warrens are in that area. Um, and one of the reasons I write about spooky stuff isn't necessarily to de demystify them, but to show how these beliefs are shaped often by like right wing nutbags, specifically the Warrens who were like right wing crazies. And they were part of a larger movement within Catholicism in the 70s and 80s that tried to use um, like spooky ideas like exorcism to attract new people. Um, in interviews around this case, Lorraine Warren said they got involved with the Glatzel family because the Catholic Church was no longer in the business of doing exorcisms. So they were kind of out of their fucking mind and their impact culturally has been significant. So it's important to keep talking about why they were frauds and why a lot of the ideas they put forth are bad. I agree. That's a hundred percent my reasoning for when it comes to, uh, the, con my continued shrieking about them. <laughs> well, we're, <laughs> we're going to get into all that in a deep way. First, Justin, who, who do we have to thank for today's episode? Before we get any further, I well, I would like to thank our patrons on Patreon, because without them, they are the proverbial wind beneath our wings. Okay, they, I am Bette Midler, Liam is Bette Midler, yep. Cinepunks as a whole is Bette Midler, <laughs> and our patrons on Patreon are not only our heroes but our wind beneath our fucking wings. The wind beneath our wings. Um, so if you are motivated by that weird speech I just gave, you can head to www.patreon.com backslash Cinepunks to find out how you can donate to the Cinepunks network and become one of our beloved patrons. Um, some of the perks to being a patron include uh, I will send you free shit. Uh, I, I mean, I'm a pretty communicative talkative guy as it is so i'll just talk to anybody um but i like to go out of my way to, to interact with people um 
I have a few more things in the pipeline. We have a patron, a Patreon, ex- a patron exclusive thing where I do these brief, like five minute things where I talk about like one of my favorite songs of all time, why I like it so much. Uh, I have a bunch more of those to record. Uh, so yeah, it should, and plus you have the satisfaction of knowing that you're helping make the world a slightly better place by introducing and promoting positive creativity in in the world because we need that right now so um if you are interested at all in becoming a patron head to www.patreon.com backslash cinepunks and it'll tell you what to do from there and we don't care what if you give a dollar a month or you give a dollar once doesn't matter it's we thank you for it you know not everyone can be old not everyone can be old rich old money bags Fucking Dana Chef Boyardee, who throws <laughs> money left and right at us. Um, <laughs> fuck. I made that joke to her face, and she laughed, so I can make it on here. Yeah, no, it's fine. Yeah. So, uh, www.patreon.com backslash for more information. Now, Fi Liam. Or, no, let me, I'm going to throw, I'm going to pitch this at Rob. Ooh. Rob, if I wanted to get a T-shirt made that said, um, I am metaphysically certain that the government knows what's causing cattle mutilations. If I wanted to get that printed on a T-shirt, <laughs> where would you suggest I go? Uh, I would say the LVAC, LVAC. Is that how you say it? Who the fuck says LVAC? Liam, do you say LVAC? <laughs> uh, I don't say LVAC, but I will say that uh, one of, you know, occasionally people actually listen to us and go to uh, the Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations to get their things printed. And one of them was Josh's brother, who straight up said LVAC to them and then to Josh later, like, yo, I hit up your LVAC people. <laughs> Josh was like, who? Oh, right. LVAC. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, when I see that, I think HVAC. That's the first no, thing I think too. of when I, I see yeah. that. I only know it's not because I work there, Rob. When I first saw it written down, <laughs> I thought, oh, LVAC, sure. And only hearing it was like, oh, no, they say the letters. Okay. Yeah, there you go. So the LVAC, go there to get your cattle, cattle mutilation shirts. Yes. <laughs> and or cattle what? decapitation <laughs> shirts for that matter. Oh, no, 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 <laughs> no. Don't do that. Don't don't do that. Uh, yeah, if you go to if you go to Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, you can expect the following things: professionalism, quality, unreasonable prices in your favor, um, and just an overall pleasant experience. As long as you don't deal with Chris Friedrich himself, um, <laughs> they make a quality product. They have uh, several talented graphic designers on staff. One of whom I used to live with in college and I witnessed him get his graphic design degree. So I know that this guy is the fucking real deal. He went to one of the finest graphic design schools in the country. I watched him get his degree and it was a moment of pride for me. Um, so if you have like this like weird embryonic, some would say half-assed idea that you can't quite do yourself to hand them over. Like if you want to get like a drawing of like, um, Iggy pop, as an actual iguana, but you can't draw that. You could go there and you could, I, I, I want it just a Iggy pop, but he has iguana head. Brad will draw that out for you. He'll resent you for it, rightfully so, but he will draw that out for you. So 
if any of the fucking insane bullshit that has been falling out of my skull for the past 45 seconds intrigues you and you have a t-shirt or a pin or a fucking a windbreaker or um, leggings or a thong or a bag for your dildo that you want to get printed with the logo or slogan of your band or your fucking podcast or whatever it is that you do you can go to www.xlvacx.com. That's www.xlvacx.com. Do not let those X's fool you. Chris Reject is a drinker, and he is not well. And he's not straight edge. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I love this as a dramatic pause for you. It's very good. Yes. And Liam, who else do we have to thank? We want to thank our friends over at Essex Coffee Roasters. Uh, EssexCoffeeRoasters.com is where you want to head to not only check out a a wide variety of single origin uh, and blends uh, that are roasted to order. So uh, they're high quality beans uh, sent to you as fresh as possible. You also want to go and check out our new Cinepunk specific blend, Santa Cafe, uh, inspired by the uh, Yodorowsky movie, Santa Sangre. Um, The design was done by our buddy Haunt Love. Uh, The bags look good and we get a cut, you know, like when you go and you buy that Part of it's going to go to pay for the coffee, and then the rest it goes to us to help support the site. So, hey, you are, when you're doing that, not just enjoying uh, awesome coffee that is limited for uh, a limited period of time and getting a cool design with it, you're also supporting the site. So head over to EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. Uh, we're going to ask if you're getting the blend not to use the 10% off code because then that means we don't get that money. <laughs> but oh, if, yes. you want, if, if you're suffering and you, you need that 10% off, you can also enter in the code CINAPUNK, C-I-N-A-P-U-N-X, and get 10% off your order. Uh, plus, if you go back and you get something else because that CINAPUNK roast is for a limited time, but you're going to love that coffee so much. You're going to go back. You're going to get more coffee. You're going to try the tea. They have a variety of teas, including uh, delicious chai, um, or maybe we want some merch. They have some great uh, merch over there as well, you're definitely going to want to use that 10% off code. Uh, that's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X at checkout. Access Coffee Roasters, uh, we want to thank them for the collaboration, for the support, and we want to thank you for giving them a try. And if you do go there and get the Cinepunks blend, screen cap your receipt and uh, slide into my DMs with that, and I'll send you a free Harbusiness shirt. Sick. There's no way to lose. There's no way to lose. Literally, it's a you win-win-win win, so win situation. We are. If nothing else, we are generous. We are generous. I don't know about if nothing else. I, I don't know. I will that. give myself no credit for anything else ever. <laughs> <laughs> now is the time in the podcast when normally I would, I would have these horrific visions and I would, I would seek help and I would come across two dumpy and lumpy fucking pasty ass white people from Long Island who have never attended a day of college in their fucking lives, but they think that they're. Uh, smart because they're not smart and I would say help me and then later I'd be diagnosed with schizophrenia and get away with murder Um, and I would in court I would say your honor I I plead not guilty by reason of Liam what have you watched in horror recently it's the clunkiest (laughs) thing ever I don't give a shit but we have a guest today and that guest is Rob so I'm gonna ask Rob what have you done involving horror recently Uh, Well, so I've watched the movie that we are going to discuss today twice, uh, which 
was a journey and wrote an article corresponding to that. But beyond that, um, I've been chilling with Shudder a lot recently. Um, just watched the um, VHS episodes of Joe Bob from last week, which were okay. Sledgehammer and Things, which I was familiar with before. Always an experience when you watch them again, no matter how many times. I've never seen Things, but I saw that it recently got added to Shudder and I added it to my list. It, it is an experience. Liam, have you seen Things? I have seen Things, yes. Has Doug made you watch that? No, I checked it when, in fact, um, when things was coming out, I think it came out, didn't it come out in a special edition from Mondo originally? Like it was like a VHS release from Mondo when it was like re-released. I think the year that that happened was my first year of Fantastic Fest. So there was ads for it everywhere. And I was like, oh, things. Okay, that's that's something I should care about. But of course, um, streaming being what it was, it wasn't available for streaming. You had to find it somewhere or watch <laughs> a copy on YouTube. And uh, eventually I did become friends with our friend, Doug Tilly, and instead of him forcing things on me, I requested it from him because I knew because of his long experience with uh, no budget horror films that he would have a copy. And of course he did. Uh, and so I watched it. Um, and I think it's, I mean, you, you say an experience and I think that's true, but uh, you know, there's a way to say that that means it's unpleasurable. And there's a way to say that that's, it's, it's still pretty, you know, interesting. And I, I, I can't say it's pleasurable or unpleasurable. I can only say it's an experience because you will experience nothing else like things. I, I don't. So I'm thinking of other things I've watched because of Doug Tilly. It's more pleasurable to me than, say, Science Crazed. Have you watched oh, Science Crazed? I forced a group of people to watch that over quarantine on Facebook. Um, watch. Everybody loved it in part because there's nothing else like it. You know, um, that droning, like, synth soundtrack that's just burrowing its way into your skull. Repeatedly, the same, like, three notes on a keyboard, just over and over and over. Science Crazed is brilliant. It's not for me. It's not, it's not, it's not <laughs> for me. We covered it on Cinepunks thanks to uh, Isaac uh, Williams and... Uh, you know, it's just not that's not for me. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Things I, you know, again, it's a, it's an experience. Um, and I think it's one that uh, is worth having unless, you know, for some people that can't get down with the with the VHS stuff. That's just like people have a certain barrier level to production value. But for right. me, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good time. See, for me, the barrier isn't necessarily like what you would see in the 80s. It's a lot of the stuff that you see today where it's right. allegedly professionally shot films, but people haven't figured out how to light for video or digital video. So a lot of the stuff that you see, a lot of newer horror movies, newer action movies, uh, newer low budget movies, I have trouble watching them as opposed to watching like old VHS where I understand that's something that like occurred. But now I'm like, you should know better. You should have some kind of level of training. When I have, when I see yeah. like very basic production issues and new stuff, it bothers me more than if I saw it on like a shot on video movie. I, it, it does get on my nerves too, because 
there's so much more knowledge. Like some of the things that you're watching that were shot by someone in their backyard in the 70s or 80s, they had to figure that stuff out to a large extent on their own. Whereas today, like you could just watch YouTube and get half the stuff yep. you would learn in film school. Like you don't, it's not that hard to learn. I mean, that's how many friends do you guys have who've told you like, oh, I fixed my washer or I fixed my dryer because I watched it on YouTube and now I can fix my thing. Like that yep. works for everything. You can, that doesn't mean you're going to be good at it. doesn't mean you won't make mistakes. But when people make really obvious mistakes, I just think, Yo, there's a YouTube video for that, man. Like, come on. Like, I I don't need everyone. I I don't know that everyone has the natural aesthetic skill that some filmmakers, broadly speaking, and and by that I don't just mean directors, but cinematographers, uh, even people who do editing and sound editing and that sort of stuff. Some of those people have something. They have some talent that comes out and raises their stuff up to a higher level. But I think anyone can reach a level of competent where there aren't any obvious mistakes by just being careful and the number of folks who've managed to get a film distributed to film festivals that isn't even at the competent level is insane to me i don't know how it's it shocking but it does it occasionally not all the time but it occasionally happens so yeah i watch things <laughs> <laughs> anything oh sorry go ahead justin i was gonna say did you watch is was it just things or any anything else I mean, those are the ones that stand out. I've been working on a bunch of writing projects lately um, for stuff on like UFOs, Satanic Panic and all that. Sure. So I yeah. haven't been watching movies lately. Um, those are the ones that pop out immediately besides, you know, the subject we're here to discuss today. Well, so, OK, since since I have you here quasi in person, um, can we Ooh. talk about for the fucking absurdity um, that even my niece recognized the absurdity in this? Um I, was it NBC or CNN or one of these fucking places? They ran with the headline: Navy confirms uh, aircraft or objects in video, not alien spacecraft, but they don't know what it is. Yeah, so that was the recent New York Times headline they got. Okay. Um, they got the UFO report early, and that was so. Initially, the way they put it out was that, and then they changed the headline to make it more speculative, like. Oh, we don't know what it is. It's yeah. we know it's not deaths, but we don't know what it is. Well, how the fuck do they know it's not aliens? Like, <laughs> when, when I told my niece that, she was like, "Do they have alien spaceships to compare it to?" And I was like, "Exactly." <laughs> did they go well, to the fucking? Opinion. Yeah, like, did we go to the fucking planarians that we have at Dolce Base and ask them, "Is this one of your ships or one of the fucking ships?" of the Flatwoods monster or the Dover demon or whatever the fuck they are. And they're like, no, nah, that's, Just, we, don't, Justin, we don't know. Justin, please don't pound the table that your microphone is on. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I get so upset talking about this. Yeah. So my opinion on that is, uh, much in the vein of my opinion on the Warrens. I tend to view things skeptically. Um, I, I'm not thinking it's UFOs as I've said elsewhere. Um, I think it's, um, a disinformation campaign from the military covering, up. um, various types of black projects and pushing for more defense spending specifically to ramp up a cold war against China. Um, it ties into, for example, the stories about the mush- Russian microwave guns zapping CIA agents. And now COVID has a bioweapon coming from China. Um, I think a lot of this is just the Pentagon realized we're in an era where conspiracy theories are big business. They're in the news everywhere. So they're exploiting that. I'm open to the possibility of aliens. I'm not saying aliens don't exist. I'm just stating I don't think that's what this is. 
if I'm you also a UFO so. disinformation guy, so that's yeah. kind of why I'm always going <laughs> to You're bought and sold by the CIA. We know. We know. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm opposed to the CIA, very vocally, mind you. <laughs> yes. But, yeah, but, Rob, you've talked about this before, that, like, that um, the government is very invested in uh, feeding um, alien conspiracy types misinformation, oftentimes to their personal detriment. Uh, and, I mean, and yeah, they've done really in the past. People, we have yeah. examples of this. There's this guy from the late 70s, early 80s named Paul Benowitz, who actually came up with the Dulcie-based theory, who we know he was part of a disinformation program because multiple people have come out stating it. And there have been FOIA requests, for example, finding like um, grants the Air Force gave him to work on UFO research. Um, and it literally drove the dude crazy. At one point, I believe there were like five or six different government agencies um, essentially monitoring, surveilling and harassing him. And um, it literally like his family had to commit him because of it. So, I mean, this is something they've done in the past. And we know this because there's evidence of it. Um, and that's why I think that's what's happening here again. But if you look at the history of ufology, this is something that happens, you know, once every 15 to 20 years. You had the Robertson panel, the Condon committee um, in the 90s. In 97, the CIA came out. There's a report by someone named Gerald Haynes where the CIA said, yeah, the Air Force made all this shit up. Um, and part of it was because of inner uh, agency squabbling over budgetary concerns. But there are other things happening there, too. So I, mean, you, you, I, you I tend say, to be skeptical of UFOs. You could say this goes all the way back to like Heineck and the Blue Book Report or Pro Project well, even Blue before Book. that. Yeah. yeah. Like Project Grudge I mean, and all that. Yeah. Like Roswell. People think Roswell is this thing that was like always a big issue, but it really only became a thing in 1980 because of UFO researcher named Bill Moore. He wrote yep. a book in 1980 called The UFO Incident. And then Roswell just suddenly like, you know, Mandela affected, uh, Mandela affected its way into our consciousness. Now it's seen as like this big event. But up until 1980, it was just like this minor footnote. Liam didn't know that, but I did because Liam is a fucking sucker <laughs> and a sheep. Well, yeah, you get deep into the UFO research and you find some interesting things. I mean, I'm definitely that dude who... Uh, was really upset to figure out how many things I learned from hip hop were actually just from behold a pale horse that like, <laughs> really Cooper. burned me the fuck out. I, My I listened bud, to, Bill Cooper. Yeah. Hang listened, in with Mr. Bill Cooper. I listened to that Bill Cooper episode of behind the bastards. It was like, ah, oh, really? Fuck. Come on. What? I thought that was street knowledge. I was participating in street knowledge. No, it's just yeah. Bill Cooper. There's actually a great deprogramming, um, document. I forget what it, like the exact title, but it's essentially like um, directed towards people in like inner cities to deprogram them from like Illuminati conspiracy theories. And it pulls a large chunk from this book, A Culture of Conspiracy um, by this academic, Michael Barkoon, um, basically just telling you the actual history of the Illuminati as a way of deprogramming people. Um, I believe it's like a black socialist group that actually came up with it. But Cooper mm. figures into that. Free, uh, like frequently because he was one of those people who helped mainstream the Illuminati and the New World Order and all of that. Yeah, I mean, we 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 can we can talk at another occasion about how everything goes back to anti-Semitism anyway. But uh, <laughs> well, so interesting thing about Bill Cooper was he was actually probably not an anti-Semite. No, a good yeah. portion of 
uh, Behold the Pale Horse is debunking those conspiracy theories because he thought the Illuminati was actually passing off uh, Jewish people as a scapegoat. Which, when you get into that conspiracy brain, that's like next level. Oh, totally. But knowing that chunks of it also borrowed ideas from the Protocols of Zion. Uh, well, so he he published that in full as a way yeah. of debunking it, and yeah. that's how it spread. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like that's, oh man, that's peak. That's some peak stuff right there. Okay. Uh, yeah, that dude's fucking nuts. <laughs> let's let's keep it moving here. Or, or, or the soon this is going to become an episode of uh, weird, obscure, and possibly unsafe. If we if we don't <laughs> if we don't get back on track here, uh, uh, Justin, did you have a question for me? Yeah, have you watched anything involving Har recently, or done inv- anything involving Har recently? Almost entirely no. Uh, and I, and I do apologize for that. I started a couple things. Uh, I started that movie Seance. Um, and I found it so un- unengaging. I couldn't finish. I just couldn't get through it. And I, you know, um, for those of you who've been listening for a while, you know, we've been trying to nighttime train my daughter, which means like one of us goes with less sleep every other night while we stay up late to get her up to try to help her like learn to wake up and pee instead of just peeing in the bed. So that's what we're doing. And what that means is I have a lot less energy. And so if a movie doesn't grab me as hard as seance did not grab me then uh then uh, it's hard for me to get i I, i'm gonna get back to it. i'm gonna finish it i I don't like leaving a movie unfinished but i couldn't get it done um but i did watch a number of trailers that i wanted to bring up to see if you guys had seen them okay Um, and invite you guys if you've seen any interesting trailers recently um i watched a trailer for a movie that's coming to shutter called sun have either one of you watched this trailer i have not no Ooh, ooh, man that's uh (laughs) That's Is a, that a good or a bad? That's a Ooh, real... Uh, the trailer got under my... Now, granted, a good trailer does not necessarily mean a good movie, and we all know this, so let's put that aside. But if, if in this case, the trailer is any indication, this is going to be a real upsetting, scary child movie. A very much a... Uh, and, and one of those movies that kind of walks the line between, like, is this happening or, or is this an unreliable narrator? And, uh, when you say son, you mean, like, S-O-N? Yes. Okay. Um, basically a woman, um, starts to have strange experiences with her son that makes her concerned that maybe there's something going on with him, like possession or some other supernatural thing. And then it turns out she's actually escaped from a cult and maybe the cult is still around. And, but the trailer is, you know, sort of walking the line between, is this even happening or is this all in her head sort of deal? Uh, I found it upsetting. I found the trailer upsetting, which makes me interested to see the movie again. Who knows if it's going to be good or not, but it's coming to, uh, coming to shutter. I also watched a trailer for a movie called blood red sky. Have you guys seen this one? I have not, no, but I like the name of it. Uh, international film. Um, I, you know, Scandinavian, maybe I was hard to tell some, some, they were white people, white people speaking a language I could not recognize. Uh, okay. Some, something with you. Know, oh, every- yes. This is the movie about the, 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 the airplane. Yes. So okay. uh, from what I can tell from the trailer, uh, airplane is being hijacked. And of course, everyone on the plane is concerned. But one woman is particularly concerned. And apparently she's particularly concerned because she is, in fact, a vampire hiding among us. And uh, this. uh this hijacking is getting in the way of her pretending not to be a vampire. And at some point she vamps out because there's a fucked up 
scene where she becomes a lot less human looking. And that's the trick that what, what exactly happens? I don't fucking know. There's hijackers. She's a vampire. That's all I know. And she has a kid and she's trying to keep the kid safe. That's, that's all I get out of it. Uh, and, and you know, I'm assuming she's not a traditional vampire cause she was in the sun and she seemed chill, but she's a daywalker. I guess all I know, <laughs> all I know is that when she becomes vampire looking, it's definitely of the fucked up variety, not of the like sexy kind of human variety. Uh, We're talking like lost boys fucked up or like the strain fucked up. Uh, a little less fucked up than the strain, but definitely teeth coming out in ways that aren't possible. Slit eyes, pointy ears sort of deal. Oh, I'm horny. Yeah. I mean, I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. Um, and then uh, and then I watched a trailer for a movie a little more in the low budget side called Witch Hunt. Witch Hunt? Have you seen this? Guys, seen this? Does not ring a bell. It is a. The vibe seems to be kind of like an alternative present slash future, along the lines of say like uh, uh, the Handmaid's Tale sort of vibe. Only this is in a a reality where we still believe in witches, and there's a organization teched up like the FBI that hunts witches and burns them in public, and uh, uh, but apparently that's not all. Uh, you know, patriarchal bullshit the way it was historically. There are witches, just for the most part, they're harmless. And then the movie, apparently now there's a witch and she's not harmless. She's got like actual kick-ass powers and it's like, is she going to save all the witches from getting burned by the scary witch burner people? Uh, Looks really bad. I really watched the trailer because a lot of people I saw on Twitter, not a lot, but a few horror people on Twitter were kind of hype on it. And I get the idea that like anything that hypes up witches kind of gets people stoked nowadays and that's cool but i thought it looked of poor quality let's put it that way and uh i i don't know i i you know i want to give it a chance because i like i like witchy stuff but it felt a little too like we're making a social point here here it comes guys and that that vibe kind of bummed me out a little bit yeah that vibe's kind of been bumming me out in a lot of horror recently i have no problem with like socially aware, socially conscious horror, because, you know, it's been around forever since the beginning of the genre. But one of the things I think that always distinguished it, someone like Romero, is that literally not everybody was trying to do it at the same time he was. That's why his movies partially stand out. So much of the movie, so many of the horror movies today that try to do it, do it poorly. And it, I think, hurts everybody else because you see a trailer like that and you're already like, oh, man, here we go again. It just felt like a very ham-fisted metaphor. And again, I'm just assuming from the trailer, maybe watching the movie, I'll find it's not. But from what was in the trailer, I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know that I'm on board for this one, guys. I don't know about that. <laughs> Sorry, I can't say I heard of that one. The only trailer I've seen recently was the one for The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which looks fantastic. That looks fucking great. Yo, what is up with Andrew Garfield lately? I believe I've seen four trailers that he's in although i think one of those movies actually came out and everyone said it was bad so maybe maybe andrew garfield's not doing that great but he has a lot of movies coming out the boy knows what's good he's been in a bunch of good movies it's true it's true so i trust his uh pick on this one at least for tammy Faye. yeah it looks it looks really solid i forget the what's the other thing that's coming out i think it's a musical of some kind but i don't remember what it's called so who cares <laughs> Definitely not my territory. Sorry. Oh, I, 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 I have a mixed relationship with musicals. Uh, the, the, when, when I like them, I really like them, but I probably only like like five ever. So that's maybe not a good track record. 
Yeah, I'm not a big musical fan myself. There are a few I do enjoy, Phantom of the Paradise, a lot of the horror musicals. But outside of that, it's, you know, not something I go out of my way to see. Justin? Oh, you're okay. Uh, <clears throat> I didn't realize you were done. Um, in addition to watching The Conjuring 3, I've watched several films uh, in the past since we've recorded. Um, I did a number of a number of Mahoning drive-in events. Um, I took my niece to see Killer Clowns from Outer Space there last Tuesday. Uh, I went to the uh, LVAC Real Rumble thing. Um, what else? Zombie Fest was a blast. Um, I didn't go the Friday to see Demons 2 because it was raining and I don't really care for Demons 2 at this point, I realized. Um Movies I've watched. Let me get my what you call my my, my letterbox app up. Give me just a moment. Should have had it ready, but I didn't. So deal with it. Um, saw a Quiet Place Part Two. Now, I like this movie. It was the first movie I've seen in theaters uh, in fifteen or sixteen months. It was terrifying. Uh, I've gone the bat for the first one. Liam, I know we have a disagreement over this, but um, I don't know. I just find it super effective. Um, there was one thing about it that I can't really give away because it would be like a spoiler alert, but it kind of renders the point of the something about the first movie. It renders moot, I think. I'll have to think about it. Um, but no, it was uh, it was a you know a great movie. Even though I think the whole buzz around it as like you know quote unquote post horror, I think is infuriating to no end. I still think they're scary as hell movies. Um, I watched two movies last night. I watched a movie called Horror in the High Desert. It's on Tubi. Um, it's a found footage movie. It doesn't end up the way I thought it was going to, and the way I was afraid it was going to. Um, but it ends up in a way that was terrifying because of all the found footage movies I've ever watched. This one felt the most like it could actually be true. And it was done in a way where it avoided a lot of the traps that most found footage movies fall into in the way that it was shot as kind of a documentary um, about the footage and about what had happened. And so when they actually show the actual footage, it looks like, you know, something you would find in the middle of a desert. You know what I mean? Like it didn't, there, there, there wasn't like any like perfectly lined up shots. There wasn't any unnecessary things of like, why are they filming this? Like it was legitimately unsettling because you actually, you're, you buy into the idea that you're seeing a human being's last moments. And then I also watched a movie on Shutter called Caveat. Have you guys seen that or heard of it? I've yeah, heard, I've heard it's I've heard supposed it. to be pretty good. Uh, yes, it did an excellent job of maintaining a rich sense of dread throughout the entire movie. Um, and there aren't many like boo jump out scares. In fact, there are no jump scares. There aren't any many like traditionally like horrifying, like scary things to see, but the few that there are, are terrifying and I highly recommend this movie. Um, watch it at night with all the lights off. It's an experience. Um, 
And let me just say that the weird rabbit on the cover is the least scary thing about this movie. So know that going into it. Uh, other than that, I really haven't. Um, I really haven't done much. I started a new series of books by F. Paul Wilson, the guy who wrote the Repairman Jack books, and I was pleasantly delighted to realize that oh, this takes place in the same universe. And just to confirm my beliefs, I did a little Googling on Google, and I found out, oh, yeah, this, this is like a, an essential part of, of, of that uh, – of his secret history of the world. So I'm pretty excited about that. I'm stoked on that. Yeah. And awesome. other than that, I, I, haven't, I haven't done anything else involving, uh, in, involving horror really. Okay. Well, I guess it's time to talk about the Warrens, y'all. Do you want to take a quick break? Yeah, let's take thinking? a qu- let's take a quick break, and then uh, we'll come back to talk about the Conjuring Three and the uh, the jerk offs it portrays. Hey, you okay there? Jesus, I think I hurt someone. This is Ed Warren, here with Lorraine. All right, let's get started. Residents of Brookfield were shocked this afternoon by the broad daylight murder of Bruno Sauls. The court accepts the existence of God every time a witness swears to tell the truth. I think it's about time they accept the existence of the devil. Whatever was going on, whatever happened that day, that was not Arnie. It's a witch's totem. We think your family was cursed. And that connection's still broken. I'm only interested in reality. But I can see things that your people can't. (laughs) Something terrible happened here. Master Satan is not an adversary to be taken lightly. She's doing it again. She's reaching out to the darkness. Lorraine, you need to come back. Is saving him worth everything you have? Because that's what it may very well cost. talk about Ed and Lorraine Warren and their bullshit. <laughs> so we're doing this because uh, recently The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, the third entry in The Conjuring, well, the 
seventh or eighth, depending on who you ask, entry in the Conjuring verse, but the third Conjuring film that focuses specifically on the antics of Ed and Lorraine Warren. Um, now, as I said at the top of the episode, I wrote and have ranted extensively about um, my feelings on the Warrens. Uh, Rob has written, he wrote an article for Diabolique uh, about yes. the Warrens. Uh, so I don't want to dive too much into the, our, our personal, well, no, you know, fuck it. Let's dive into the, our personal feelings. <laughs> on it. Um, what did you guys, let's Rob, what did you think of this movie? Uh, well, so I want to get out in front of the movie itself and say that I think, like I was saying earlier, it's important to talk about the Warrens and their influence on culture in general, because even if you, you don't have to have that Jack Thompson perspective, you know, like with video games, video games cause violence to think that art can shape culture and shape beliefs. Um, you know, I'm a nerd. I went to grad school for communication. So there's this idea transportation theory or narrative transportation theory where subconsciously um, narratives can shape how we view the world as we become involved in them. So art like this can affect how people perceive reality. And for example, after The Exorcist came out, exorcisms, claims of exorcisms, possessions, um, went up significantly uh, in the 70s and 80s, and then slowly began dying off again in the 90s and 2000s. But beginning in the early 2010s, they began seeing an increase again. So art about stuff, like spooky stuff, can affect perception, um, can affect reality. So my opinion on the Warrens is that they were con artists, and they have negatively affected society in many ways, but in this specific case, um, they, ne they negatively affected two people in specific. And I couldn't get past that while watching the film because the film itself is not well made. Um, I was talking to Liam before the episode about this and we were agreeing that like, if the movie was good, it wouldn't be a problem. Like I will defend the first Conjuring movie. I think it's one of the best horror movies of the 2010s. This is not that movie. It's not well made. It doesn't even persuasively present the case it's making, it is just a mess. Interesting. Um, I actually, while I will, <clears throat> excuse me, I will say that I didn't enjoy this movie, not just as much as the first Conjuring film, but not even as much as I'd like the second one and not even as much as I like some of like, for example, um, the most recent Annabelle film, which I, enjoyed a lot more than I think I should have. Um, <laughs> this movie, I actually think that when it first started, I was kind of hating myself because I was kind of falling for like the, the, the sympathetic ification of Arnie Johnson. And where <laughs> I was like, like, the scene when like they're doing the exorcism of, of, of the Wetzel kid and, or is it Wetzel or Gretzel? Glatzel. 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 I'm sorry. Glatzel. Close enough. Yeah, whatever. The kid, I mean, it, none of this happens. So it's, it's, we might as well be talking about fucking an X-Force comic where strong guy beats up fucking forearm or whatever. But, um, <laughs> the scene when they're doing their, you know, their Catholic fucking mumbo jumbo and Arnie Johnson just starts screaming, like, leave him alone. He's just a little kid. Like, that honestly struck something in me. And I was like, 
fuck, they got me. Like, I'm falling for it. Damn it. And then, like... Oh, yeah. I mean, it has those moments, for sure. It Yeah, it definitely has the, the, the well-done, if this guy didn't murder an innocent man moments, you're like, oh, I kind of like this dude. And I, I have to admit, the scene in which he actually uh, kills his, his quote-unquote landlord, I thought that was, like, effective. But then everything after that was so, like... What the fuck are they doing? Like, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't really separate it. It's like, am I seeing this through the eyes of Justin Lore, president of the anti-Warren fan club, or is this just a bad movie? And I, I couldn't really, um, I, I, I couldn't really figure out which was which. And I think I started to you know, give this movie a lot more passes than it deserved because I wasn't sure what was actually bad or what was actually like my own personal bias. But I'm inclined to believe that I, that this was not a good movie. And that I didn't like, even if I think I did. Well, well, so I'll agree with you there because I think one of the problems is the movie doesn't know what it wants to be. It begins with the exorcism where the other movies usually build to them, which interesting way to start the movie. And then it intersperses the courtroom drama where you think that's going to be the movie, but it's not. It's this side thing about a witch and Ed and Lorraine searching for the witch. Um, so it's kind of a mess figuring out like what the focus of the movie itself is even going to be. I, uh, <clears throat> I feel like I'm less invested than y'all two are in um, the Warrens generally. And so... I go into these movies more just wanting a good horror movie and not feeling all the complicated emotions I think you feel, Justin, because you have done a lot more research than I have, and so has Rob, obviously. Oh, they're not they're, it's not complicated. I hate the Warrens. Right. But, 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 <laughs> but it's just you have you have an experience that I don't. Like, I generally, because of, you know, the little bit I have read and because of your influence, I also dislike the Warrens. But it's less loaded for me, which is why I found it interesting that I found this movie pretty terrible top to bottom with the ending uh, which I hope is okay for folks that at some point I think we're going to spoil because I think it's important for understanding the levels that the movie was willing to go to. Um, but I found the movie pretty bad overall and then realizing the real-life suffering... Justin, what are you doing right now? It's really loud. Oh, oh I'm sorry. I was I, I was adjusting my, my straw and my, my, my refresher. Uh, yeah, just put it farther away from your computer because that's where your microphone is. Um, gotcha. Uh, for me, I, my first frustration with the movie is the movie itself, which is it's a mix. It doesn't know what it's trying to do. It's really trying to, like, um, create this feeling that Anne and Lorraine Warren are supernatural detectives who are doing their supernatural detective work. Like, there's some sort of, like, John Constantine or some bullshit trying to figure out, like, what's really going on and uncover this secret scary witch, which, like... What what is more what is more suited for the age of the satanic panic of which this was a part than a narrative that actually goes you know what it was the scary witch who's descended from a 
priest the whole time. Oh my god, it's 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 fucking made for that for that fucking thing. And then it culminates in a story in which what what actually saves the day here is it the uh, traditions and uh, and fucking uh, liturgy of the Catholic Church? No, actually, in this case, that's pretty useless. Is it uh, the fucking faith? In uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, no. This nope. movie, what what wins against evil in this movie is the love that Anna and Lorraine Warren have for each other, and it, a fifteen year old girl. God yeah. bless America. Yeah. It's, okay, it's, yeah, I guess we can get into that at some point. It just feels to me. It just one hundred percent feels to me like this movie more than the other two and again i'm not an expert on all these movies but this movie really hit me as like they're trying to turn these motherfuckers into supernatural superheroes and like i mean i don't know how willing these actors are in doing this for the rest of their lives but i think the people making the movie would do this until they were dead they would make these fucking movies even if they have to come up with entirely new scenarios they would make these movies with these people until they were dead and in the ground because they've really built the entire narrative off of them more than any of those other movies have and really fucking glorify them in a way and then to find out the 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 case they decided to do that with the one of the warring cases where they said this is the one where we really turned them into fucking champions where they're like the the goddamn heroes of the day is the one where they tried to get a murderer off so that they could prove demon possession as a legal precedent is makes it takes what's already a level of disgust to me and puts it on this other fucking level so that I'm now in y'all's camp as a as a minor Warren scholar at best I'm now like Justin every time I hear their name I will spit because I'm so disgusted that this is what was fucking put out into the world it's it's one of the few times actually you could probably prove this a few times but this is one of the clear examples of them doing actual harm in the world they're not just weirdos yes. they're not just eccentrics they're doing actual harm and and you decided to present that to us as their love is the only is the only bomb against evil is the love that Ed and Lorraine have for each other. Get fucked. It was beyond offensive <laughs> to me. Yeah. So you mentioned something interesting there where you tied them into the satanic panic because they were obviously there for the original. You, one. Yeah, yeah, totally. But we are sort of in an ascending satanic panic with right. things like QAnon and other yes. adjacent ideas happening yeah. right now yes. and Lil culturally they're little Nas X. Yes. That's a great example. Um, but the one I wanted to mention, there's um, a lot of media that's starting to pop up that's sympathetic to those ideas. Have either of you seen uh, sons of Sam on Netflix? No, I've heard so, about it, but I haven't watched it. It's based on a book, the ultimate evil that came out during the satanic panic by a writer, Maury Terry, um, claiming that David Berkowitz was not the only, um, son of Sam killer and that he may have actually been part of a satanic cult linked to the process church, almost all of its bullshit, but the documentary essentially takes those claims at face value and it tries to undo it in like the final 15 minutes of the last episode where it's like, Oh, this is what happens when you go too deep down the rabbit hole, but it spends the first three and three quarters episodes being like, Oh yeah, Maury Terry was right. All of this stuff happened. And so this movie fits in with something that I think is like an ascending satanic panic or a minor satanic panic. I don't know if we'll get to the heights that we had previously, but that's one of the other reasons why I'm like, kind of, why are you doing this right now with this case? Yeah, with everything that's happening. I'm not against like art that 
I don't think art has any kind of, I don't, I'm one of those people who I don't think art has a social obligation. And I know that's probably uh, not a popular opinion, but I think when it comes to something like this right now, it's probably not the best case to pick if you're going to present the Warrens as, you know, superheroes, specifically because it fits them into a narrative that we are all dealing with right now where, you know, allegedly satanic pedophiles are running things in the world. And here's Ed and Lorraine fighting, you know, a satanic cult that's trying to essentially take the life of a child and then drives a man to murder. So it all kind of fits into this cultural milieu right now where we are seeing a lot of this stuff crop up again. Yeah, it, it's something I've I've long said that these, these films, um, <clears throat> they, they, they tread a line of being uh, irresponsible when it comes to the portrayal of Burns uh, because um, it, it it makes it kind of, there's a term for I forget what the term is but there's a term for if you take like for example um, it's how people used to murder other people using arsenic whereas if you take a tiny bit of arsenic every day you build up like an immunity to it until eventually like you could just take small doses of arsenic and it won't do anything whereas it'll kill someone else I, I think um, that the Warrens and the way these movies are presenting them is kind of uh, conducive to the way that we view um, like televangelists and megachurches, you know, jerk offs like Joel Olstein and these assholes who are fleecing thousands of people um, for money. Uh, that's doing harm to society as a whole. And I think by presenting the Warrens as these uh, sincere, like crusaders for doing the right thing, it's almost, um, it, 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 it's almost kind of inoculating us for yeah. Yeah. Uh, ex- accepting these uh, these fucking parasites who uh, you know get millions and millions and millions of dollars from low income, vulnerable, scared people and are completely unapologetic about it and should be held accountable but aren't. And that in turn is it's you know the ideas that those people promote and encourage are ideas that are horrifyingly uh, dangerous to the, the well-being of um, you know marginalized groups of people. And I've been I've been accused of being like some sensationalist with this before, but I I have said what I said about the Warrens. I, I, I don't think it's you know it's it's one thing if you're if, if it's one, it's one thing if you're a true believer who is saying like, I know your child is possessed and I can, I can get rid of them with the help of Jesus Christ. I think it's dangerous, but I think that if you are a well-meaning individual and you are doing these things, at least you mean well. I don't think the Warrens meant well. I think the Warrens were entirely aware of what they were doing and they were doing it for money and publicity. And the fact that they were and the fact that they so transparently were and the fact that there's this massive media campaign to sort of present them as these Winchester-esque superheroes is, uh, again, I I, I hate to repeat myself, but it's making people in the world who who have a lot more power than they ever did a lot more dangerous. It's making the, the, uh, I don't, other than Joel Osteen, I don't know who any of these fucking assholes are today. Peter Popoff, uh, Jim Baker, is he, is he even still alive? Like, Jerk he is, like and he's still guys. selling buckets of slop to people. Oh, 
God, that's unfortunate. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it all, it, it doesn't, it, it, they, they don't exist in a vacuum is what I'm trying to say is that, is that people like this and ideas like this and portrayals like this have very dangerous real world uh, ramifications. Oh, I absolutely 100% agree. And I think it's like I was saying, it fits in with that Sons of Sam documentary. There's this new contrarianism where people are taking cases that have been previously debunked or proven to be false and now trying to validate them in some way. Mm -hmm. The Sons of Sam documentary uh, goes out of its way to validate the work of Terry. This movie in specific. So I get that it has that tag based on a true story. And by now, many people realize that is not obviously something that's real, you know, it's a fictionalization. But uh, my issue here is that it does it in a way that's kind of, you know, slippery, where it heavily fictionalizes parts of the story. And then, um, spoiler alert here, during the credits, they actually end up playing clips from the real Ed and Lorraine, and they play recordings that they made of David Glatzel, the child in the case, uh, when he was allegedly possessed. So I, I think it fits into this period we are in where people are trying to question everything, whether or not those things should be questioned. Um, in this case specifically, there really isn't anything to question because we can uh, prove for like a fact that Ed and Lorraine uh, manipul were manipulative, that they essentially uh, were party to child abuse, that they attempted to exonerate a man after um, he had admitted to killing someone else. So we can prove that all of the things that they did involved in this case uh, make them look monstrous, not the alleged Satanist in this movie. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, the, the only thing I want to uh, disagree slightly is just that I think it's what Justin says is very likely that these people were 100% grifters. I do want to avoid the idea that the only people we have to look out for are 100% grifters. Uh, the believers are actually just as manipulative. And, no, no, and, no. And, I, and, and, and I think it's very possible that these people were both because I think we see that yes. a lot in the history of the conservative movement. If people who both believe what they're doing but are willing to manipulate the public to get what they want and we, we, we tend to look at these as mutually exclusive things and because they're dead... There are going to be some people who don't, who don't, who feel like that's what we're, that's what the decision has to be. How real were they? And they're going to waste their time trying to figure that out. It doesn't matter because even if they really believe the shit they were doing a hundred percent, they still were manipulative monsters who hurt people. And I, and I, and so I just want to make sure that we don't rely too much on, oh, they didn't even believe it because, you know, I think no, some no. of these people do believe it. And, and that's sort of like Rob, you, you did the, uh, uh, I think important step of connecting this to Q, right? There's definitely already a Q meme that has the ghosts of Ed and Lorraine Warren behind Trump, empowering him to find the Satanist pedophiles, right? That's gotta exist. I bet if you Google searched it, you could <laughs> find it right fucking now and 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 i want to be clear uh i don't think the current satanic panic i i personally don't think and this is just my opinion that it'll get as widespread and thus as massively dangerous as um the original satanic panic however the element of q which we all think is over but we don't know if it's over yet so i don't want to just be like it's oh q's done whatever whatever 
there's still potential there for individual actors. So the, what I'm not describing is a social movement the way that Satanic Panic was, but I still think there's room in Q, which is connected to a kind of Satanic Panic, uh, for individual actors to do terrible things. And so yeah. this narrative is not just about a society doing crazy stuff like a lawsuit against a daycare for 30 years to prove that they were Satanists or some crazy shit like that. It also could just be a random guy who thinks I'm going to get me some Satanists and blows up, I don't know, a synagogue, a pizza place, a gay club, whatever it is. There's still a, a real possibility of the remnants of uh, uh, whatever's going on with Q, Trump, or whatever new things form out of that uh, for, for bad actors. And so, again, I, I think I, I'm a little more conservative than Rob is when it comes to the question of art and obligation. But generally, I think we can kind of all agree that, like, thought police is not what we're aiming for here. We're not trying to say, therefore, never tell a story like this at all. But I Uh-oh, cons- we're canceling the Warrens. But I, I am concerned that the attitude that other horror fans seem to have is, who gives a fuck? I don't think that's the right attitude either. It's I, I'm not saying it's now illegal to make a Warren movie per se, but let's not pretend that this is a dead issue and it doesn't matter and everyone knows it's fake and there's not going to be any repercussions. We need to be real about the fact that valorizing these people, as Justin, I think, was making it very clear, is is going to have effects in the world. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe not. Maybe we'll be lucky and all that's over now. But it's not clear that it is. And it seems weird to me, a weird time to valorize these folks when this is as dangerous a time for this sort of stuff as ever. And, the, yeah, I mean, the thing that's dangerous is even though I believe – the family that was that was involved in the Arnie Johnson case, even though I I think they've come out and said that like oh yeah this was all like this is all bullshit like our son had like schizophrenia I could be wrong about that. Um, Some members of the family have said that, not all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one well, of the kids, I mean, you know who's not said it was Arnie Johnson, right? Oh like, yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> and we'll get into that. We'll get into that as we go along. Yeah, um, but I mean. There are, even though it's been like, even though the Amityville case has been thoroughly debunked, thoroughly debunked, it like absolutely did not happen. It, like people, people involved in it, who, who people who were involved in the um, the bullshitification of the DeFeo murders, uh, they've all come out and said like, yeah, this is like, huh, you know, we did it because this, that, the other thing, like none of this happened. There is objective evidence that they lied about that. And yet David Lutz... Uh, one of the Lutz children was in a in a uh, a documentary called My Amityville Horror, which is mm-hmm. uh, excruciating to watch because this guy's such a fucking boner. Like uh, he's introduced while fucking shredding an electric guitar, which is unforgivable. Um, and he's so. And then of course, like Lorraine Warren comes in and she does her thing, and it's like uh, my whole point is that even though. It has been objectively proved that that those events did not happen. There was still a child present that was so brainwashed by those by 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 those by, by people around him that fifty years later he's still convinced that it happened, and that's fucking dangerous. That shows the sort of like weird subjective nature of memory and reality, because all it's going to take is. It doesn't matter if there's mountains of evidence to say, like, no, this stuff didn't happen. These people are charlatans. All it takes is one person to say, no, it did happen, and they're not. And we no longer have the beyond a shadow of a doubt objectivity. 
Well, I think this is probably a good place to jump in with both the plot of the movie and the actual events yeah, to yeah. show yeah, how they yeah. differ. So the case itself is based on an event that took place on February 16th, 1980. On that night, Arnie Cheyenne Johnson stabbed his quote unquote landlord, but that's not how I would classify Bono. Um, he stabbed him to death. Um, it happened Allegedly, in a dispute between the two, Arnie Johnson was later found wandering in uh, days by um, the Brookfield Police Department. He was arrested, and subsequently, the first story that came out was actually from the Warrens. I believe the first newspaper article that appeared in the Hartford Courant may have been, like, February 26th, and they were the ones who were quoted. And at that point, both the Warrens and Johnson's attorney, Martin Manella, were all in saying the devil made him do it. And he subsequently then went to trial and tried to present a devil defense, demon defense, however you want to phrase that. His lawyer, Manella, was kind of a weirdo. Um, he was quoted as saying, the courts have dealt with the existence of God. Now they're going to deal with the existence of the devil. Um, and unfortunately for both Johnson and his lawyer, the judge was like, fuck off. Um, this isn't something that exists in American, American jurisprudence. I believe there were two cases in England, uh, one that was semi-recent, but the judge was like, you can't prove that. Like, you can make a plea of insanity because we can quantify that in some way by having you speak to court-appointed psychiatrists or psychologists. We can't appoint an exorcist. We can't appoint a demonologist. Those things don't exist in um, this world, at least. Maybe in some other reality they do. So Johnson then... Um, went to trial where the uh, state, the prosecution, argued it was a love triangle between Bono, Debbie Glatzel, who was Johnson's girlfriend, and Arnie Johnson. Johnson was convicted, went to jail for first-degree manslaughter, and um, served five years of a 10-year sentence, at which point he got out. And during all of this, we got various versions of the story, the first of which, or the first two of which came in 1982, with a TV movie, The Demon Murder Case, and a book, The Devil in Connecticut by Gerald Brittle. Um, the book is highly sensational, portrays things in a manner favorable to the Warrens because they were the ones chiefly working with Brittle. He had previously written another book with them, 1980's The Demonologist, which um, the case files were used as a basis for the Conjuring movies. Annabelle, the doll, comes from uh, the third chapter of The Demonologist, and other aspects of that book were adapted. Um, but after that, then in the 2000s, we got a, another retelling of the story from Debbie and Arnie directly on the Discovery Channel's A Haunting. The episode um, is called Where Demons Dwell, and it's yet another reinterpretation. And then from that point, we got to where we are today with The Conjuring. Now, all of these stories are highly different because you have different people with different agendas pushing different things. The initial story from the state with the love triangle actually probably isn't entirely accurate because um, there are facts in the case that contradict it. But it wasn't a demon. It may have just been a dispute over money. Um, and then the Brittle book says demons. Um, the Arnie Johnson version on TV then jettisons almost all of the book and offers an entirely different retelling. So it doesn't really make sense as we keep moving forward because every time the story is retold, significant portions are rehashed and then thrown away. So at this point, it's almost the story itself is incomprehensible, which probably is fair because the new movie is incomprehensible. 
I mean, it's only fair when you actually watch the movie and compare it against all of the other adaptations. Nothing in it, like, it barely resembles the actual case. So one of the notes I took, even within, like, the first few minutes, you get that opening title card, right, where it says... Um, July 18th, 1981, Ed and Lorraine were called to document the exorcism of David Glatzel. The problem here is if this is based on a true story and we're to believe that these are mostly the same events, uh, this is completely wrong. The actual final exorcism took place almost a year earlier um, in September of 1980. And it was important because the day that they picked, September 8th, was supposed to coincide with the birth of the Blessed Mary. So if you think they're making a film for religious propaganda purposes, you would think that they would include that because that's right. something that helps their case. Um, but the date that they picked doesn't even make sense if we're looking at the case itself because the stabbing happened in February of 1981. So what this does is it condenses the timeline. And I think this is intentional because it makes everything seem more sudden and it throws the characters into this state of disarray. Whereas the original case dragged out for a very long time. Allegedly, the first exorcism took place in July of 1980, and that culminated in the stabbing of February 1981. Um, but even basic facts in this movie are altered. David is made to be eight years old as opposed to 11. This is probably done to make him more innocent um, because, you know, if you read the book, it's clear that David is reenacting scenes from The Exorcist. Um, the brittle book, cribs pretty heavily from The Exorcist, and members of the family were known to have seen the movie, so it calls into question the authenticity. Um, and then one of the biggest changes is they obviously alter Alan Bono to make him a new character entirely in this movie, Bruno Sauls. And that is obviously to avoid the legal complications that come from Bono's family, who were very adamant that he has was not and has not been the figure that has been portrayed in any of the adaptations. Um, in all of the books, movies, TV shows, he's portrayed as a, a belligerent drunk, aggressive, um, kind of a creep. But um, the initial interviews, even from like Debbie Glatzel, portray him as a warm, loving person. He actually was not a landlord. He was a property manager. And he was letting Debbie and Arnie live on his property for free when they moved in. So the idea that like he was exploiting them in some way is bullshit. He was paying Debbie to work at his kennel and he was letting her live on his property for free. That's not a landlord. And that's not someone who I would um, identify as being aggressive or, you know, an asshole of some kind. He comes across in pretty much all of the original writing, the journalistic writing, as being like just a normal guy who kind of had a, he just kind of wandered through life aimlessly. He was like 40 and he hadn't really had any successes. So he was just someone who kind of went with, he went wherever life took him. So I, I think as you watch the stories change, unfortunately, Bono himself changes significantly. And in this one, he doesn't come across as much of an asshole as maybe he does in the Brittle book, but he's still kind of a dick in the movie. In that TV movie that uh, the, the, what the demon murder case is that what it's, what it's yeah, called demon murder he, case he seems like such a such a jerk like the, it, it, it was just funny yeah. watching it and then thinking about the two characters and i'm like the only thing that these characters seem to have in common is that there's something about them that is unpleasant you know what i mean like they don't right. seem like the same human even in any way well so one of the things that really annoys me about this case specifically is 
the way the Warrens and all of the other parties involved in the case have continually, I would say, slandered Bono because everything like I've pointed to points to the fact that he was if there was a dispute there, it wasn't something that stemmed from like a love triangle. It wasn't something where he was like aggressive towards anybody. Um, all of the original writing in newspapers portrays Debbie, Arnie and Alan as close friends. At one point, they had talked about buying the kennel together from um, Alan's mother, uh, Alan's sister who owned it. So the idea that he was some kind of jerk and he was being hard on Debbie and Arnie isn't supported by the actual facts that we have from um, writing in that era. And even if you read the brittle book, like there's inconsistencies in the way the stories are portrayed. Um, I keep bringing up The Exorcist because it's influenced pretty much every piece of media up until this recent Conjuring movie, which surprisingly kind of diverges from the exorcist uh, model that all the others have followed. Um, but if you read the book, you find these like weird moments of like rupture or breaks where even Brittle can't, where even Brittle understands the facts don't support what's happening. So um, at some point while David is possessed, he begins allegedly calling neighbors and harassing them, sexually harassing them and threatening priests. But in the Brittle book, it states that local members of the community reported that the voice on the other end didn't sound like David. It sounded like David's dad, Carl Sr. And then the way Brittle writes it off, he just writes, but it was not. And that's it. <laughs> so it's like, even in like the actual initial retellings, you can kind of see through the veneer that they put up for you. And I think that's one of the other things that annoys me. These people clearly know what they're doing is bullshit. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like if you read um, – I have to find it. There's an interview with Ray Garten who wrote the book on the Snedeker haunting, I think it was, or the Smurl haunting. And right. um, side note, if anyone out there wants to read a fucking amazing werewolf book, Ravenous by Ray Garten is great. But the fact that Ed Warren approached a horror novelist who wrote this book, that, that right there says something. And uh, – because Ray Garten is, uh, you know, he's a professional writer who, you know, he does his, he does the fucking legwork. When he interviewed these people, um, let me see, it's the, uh, da, ba, ba, ba. yeah, it was, it was the, um, the haunting, on, haunting of Connecticut, the Snedekers. He interviewed all of them and immediately, immediately was like, these people are fucking lying. Like they're, 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 all their accounts, they're, they're fucking lying. And he went to Ed and was like, look, I can't write this book because this is a fictional account that you're billing as a true story. And yeah. Ed Warren apparently said to him, like, look, these people are crazy. It's your job to write a book about it. Like, that's what you do is you write horror novels, write a horror novel, just write it and say it happened. Like, who cares? You know what I mean? And like, I mean, Garten did because, you know, fucking take a paycheck. But he's been, uh, let's just say he's been quite vocal over the years as one of the leading critic, uh, critics of the Warrens and saying like, no, I worked with these people. Like, they're all, they're fucking, they're, 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 they're grifters. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, 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 at least there were, I mean, in this case, it sounds like this guy had come up against these discrepancies and was just, there was like a sort of cognitive dissonance with him where he was just like, eh, but it wasn't. So it's like, 
you know, they just they get people on on board with their nonsense, and they just they 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 uh, they validate it. I guess. Do we think? Well, it's funny you should. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Well, it's funny you should mention that because Gerald Brittle himself would have that same realization because <laughs> yeah. in 2017, he sued Lorraine Warren and Warner Brothers because of the success of the Conjuring movies because he claimed that he had sole republication rights over the stories because he was the author of The Demonologist, which many of the stories oh, or yes. pieces, portions of The Conjuring were taken and adapted from that. And in his lawsuit here, let me find the actual quote because it's amazing. But he essentially states they can't be telling the world this is based on a true story because all of the stories found in that book are bullshit. So <laughs> in the in the lawsuit, a portion of it reads the defendants, the conjuring movie is built not on facts or on historical facts. Rather, it is knowingly built on stories, impressions, conjecture fiction, and in the case of the Warrens, fabrications. There are no historical facts of a witch ever existing at the Perone farmhouse, a witch hanging herself, possession, satanic worship, or child sacrifice. So even Gerald Brittle, who wrote their first two books, eventually came around and was like, yeah, these are all just works of fiction. Give yeah. me my fucking money. Pay the writer. Uh, what I was going to ask is, um, do we think... Because you brought up, Rob, I think insightfully that, you know, the, the ways that this movie changes the facts don't really work as religious propaganda to some extent the way that maybe uh, the books do or other things the Warrens have done do. But, you know, uh, I, I think it's probably pretty clear that the people who make this movie, they're just trying to make money, right? Like they don't seem particularly yeah. invested in what anyone thinks about this. Even even the the throwing around on the based on a true story feels entirely cynical to me. It feels like n n no one involved actually thinks this is real. Is is am I, well, am I projecting so I would, too much? I would say that maybe from the studio's perspective, but I think right. people involved in the creative process absolutely probably yeah. do believe. Okay. And specifically because of the credit sequence where they actually play all of that um, footage from both Ed and Lorraine speaking on, I forget what talk show, it may have been like Merv Griffith or someone like that. And then the actual tapes of David Glatzel taken while they were there present documenting his alleged exorcism. So I do believe people involved in the creative process of this probably believed it um wow. there may be something in the contract um for the warrens where they said they have to be portrayed in a certain way we know that for example in the contract that lorraine set out for these movies they can't be portrayed negatively in the sense that like they can't have marital problems they can't be involved with like child pornography they can't huh. be oh involved i wonder why with, like, yeah, we, we can get to that. But like they have like it's like a morals clause. So we know they can't be portrayed in a negative fashion in specific ways. But I, I do believe some of the people involved in this probably believe or are OK with presenting the story in a way that maybe hmm. could come across as property. It's, it, it's, it's funny. I remember reading an interview with um, I always fuck up her last name and she's wonderful. So we'll just call her Vera An interview with yeah. Vera about. Lorraine Warren and they're like, well, what, you know, how does it feel to betray such a like trying to get like, do you believe in this? Like, how does it feel to betray someone who's touched right. the face of the devil? And her response was like, she's very nice. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> didn't, didn't want to be like, oh, yeah, that shit totally happened. But she's like, oh, she's a very nice. She's a very nice old woman. Yeah, she's she's very nice. She's very friendly. And it's like, Vera, come on. How, get, get, get old Pat, Pat Wilson in here. See what he has to say about this. 
I'm sure she did not know who Lorraine Warren was probably before she took the role. And now that's something I would I would disagree with that strongly. Guarantee you do. Oh, really? Oh, okay. She was brought up in a super Christian homeschool environment. Uh, In fact, I don't uh, think that means she would have known who Lorraine was. She may have come up in a similar religious environment, but I'm not sure if she was. I don't know. I I feel like she's of the same age that she might have heard about. I mean, you're you're right. Who knows? My my inclination is just because of the 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 audience that I think for this sort of shit that the Warrens are doing was very much how she was brought up. So if she didn't hear about it, that feels like a that's a coincidence. The coincidence to me would be if she didn't <laughs> hear about it, uh, because I feel like that they're the prime audience, the prime people to to be invested in this sort of shit. Uh, you know, is is Fair the enough. sort of the the homeschooling network. A friend of me and Justin's actually knows her because they grew up in the same sort of uh, similar environment. Um, oh wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, all that to say, I wanted to I wanted to say, um, did either one of you see that documentary, A Glitch in the Matrix? I have not seen it yet, but I love the director, so I'm planning on so, watching it. Not guy, yet, but I want to. That's the guy who did Room 237, right? Is that right? And The Nightmare. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. So um, when A Glitch in the Matrix came out, there were a number of people criticizing the film because they felt like the attitude of the film was less sympathetic than Room 237. So the feeling that they had was like Room 237, right? Uh, they read it as he's interested in these theories because maybe he thinks that they're true. And then a glitch in the Matrix, he clearly doesn't think these things are true, which is really funny because I saw him speak after Room 237 and after f- four or five comments from the audience that were basically belligerent like this is bullshit how can you believe this he had to say this isn't a movie about things i believe this is a movie about things other people believe that i think are interesting i'm not invested in any of these theories i think that they're all not true that's the point of the movie and uh after he said that there were still two more questions belligerently asking him (laughs) why he could support these ideas and and this is the issue right that like people there's an audience for room 237 that wants to believe that wants to believe that's a movie actually about viable ideas that they are also invested in. And so uh, the, some of the response to a glitch in the matrix was, well, why does it feel like he's making fun of some of these ideas? This is what I think. Um, and I think it's important for us to remember that like documenting something doesn't mean you have to treat everything yes. as if it is viable, as if it's realistic. And um, some of the commentary around the Warrens wants to be like, well, I wasn't there. And they seem to believe it. So it's cool. And I'm like, it's it's not cool, though, because it bordered into affecting people's lives. It's not a person alone, not hurting anyone thinking, well, I think there's demons. Sick. You know, like, that's cool. I'm glad you feel that way. Whatever. It's they affected people. And even and, and this is where it gets so problematic, because I think Justin's inclination might be right. They might have not have believed any of it the whole thing could have been a fucking work and the reality is it doesn't matter because they hurt people uh and and they tried to make money either way and so like the the I, I bring it up because i think some of the what's happening in those documentaries is happening here where people are like 
well, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's, you know, true story, not true story. None of this matters. And, and I think what Rob, you're doing very well for us is reminding us like, there's like a really gross reality here that like is yes. worth it at minimum keeping in mind. Plus side note, I think all three of us didn't think this was a particularly great movie. So it's like, right. we're, we're also forgiving a lot of pain for not a lot of yield here. There's not, we're not getting much in return for our willingness to put up with all this bullshit. Well, I think that's an interesting comparison because I think um, what Rodney Asher does in his movies um, is different from what we see here, because as you mentioned, um, depiction is not endorsement. Specifically, those movies are not about portraying those ideas in a favorable fashion. It's about presenting those ideas to show how arbitrary and chaotic perception, how reality is for a lot of people. People like Room 237 is a bunch of people watching one movie and all coming out with wildly different interpretations Insanely of what that movie things. means. Yeah. Um, the Nightmare is not endorsing beliefs of like dream demons. It's showing how all of the people who experience sleep paralysis can come out from this shared experience with wildly different representations of what that means. Um, whereas I think something like this new Conjuring movie actively endorses the Warrens. One of the yeah. things that they do in this story, they change a lot of the characters to handle it, uh, to make the movie more favorable to the Warrens. So I mentioned earlier Martin Manella, the lawyer for Arnie Johnson in the real trial. He was on board from day one. He was like, let's go. We're going to make a demon defense. The lawyer in this movie, they oddly do a gender swap for no understandable reason. And then they make the lawyer skeptical, which was not the case in reality. So that's one of the first examples of someone doubting the Warrens only to have them proved right. They do this again with the lawyer who is a person of color, which is another odd choice. Someone like a woman, a person of color now doubting the Warrens, these two white Christian um, paranormal experts. And again, Lorraine Warren is proved right. So there's this reading of the movie that you can take away that, you know, tradition is we need to return to tradition because it's always right. And all of the characters that doubt the Warrens are people who, as I pointed out, are maybe representations of modernity or something else. And they're proven to be wrong. So it's the way the movie handles the facts in the case, it's done in a way to valorize the Warrens and portray them as ultimately right. The movie itself is making an argument that this probably did happen. Even the foil of the priest is so interesting. Like he he somehow is responsible for the apparent corruption of his daughter, right? Uh, by being interested by like investigating yeah. um, their version of the satanic cult. Yeah, but like he has a room with a bunch of evil stuff, and they're freaked out. And I'm like, y'all have a room with a bunch of evil stuff. What are we talking yeah. about here? He's he's literally a representation of what some people might see the Warrens as, but you know, they make sure to make it clear that somehow he's the evil version. And now he's going to pay the price because his daughter's a witch. It is. Yeah, exactly. The most like crass morality tale I've seen in a long time. (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah. So like I said, there are things this movie does where it keeps certain facts in the case for bizarre reasons. Uh, One of the things that I brought up earlier is the dispute over money. So one of the initial facts that kind of gets glossed over is in the initial retelling of this story. So 
uh, when Arne Johnson was arrested, a number of people were interviewed publicly, including his sisters and Debbie Gladsall. The initial in the initial telling of the story, um, it's in dispute as to whether or not Alan uh, would release one of Arnie's sisters. Um, Wanda Johnson, Arnie's one sister, claims that Debbie asked uh, Alan to let her go, and he did. And then Debbie sort of corroborates that by stating that Alan was Alan was drunk that night, and he was falling down, and he grabbed on to both her and Arnie's sister for support. They called Arnie, and he came over. But at that point, they get into a dispute over money because of the stereo repair, which they do bring up in the movie. And there's a dispute over money. But in Debbie's initial retelling, the dispute is what leads to the stabbing. And that's a fact they keep in the case for some arbitrary reason. I'm not sure. But they make it more innocuous, whereas they take um, other facts in the case, like the lawyer um, or the investigation, and move it in a slightly more sinister direction to make the Warrens look better than they actually were. So the movie does, makes these weird choices with its based on a true story designation that don't entirely make sense based on A, what the story was, and then B, what they're trying to accomplish. Because ultimately the Warrens, as you mentioned, aren't even the heroes. There's a sacrifice that needs to be done and it still happens. So in a way, Satanism kind of wins in the end. I hadn't even thought of that, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, the sacrifice, like they say, there there must be a sacrifice, and then they sacrifice the witch. So, like, but technically, the witch wins. But she's, yeah, but she's a witch, so it's okay that she gets sacrificed. That's who's supposed I, I guess. to go to hell, Rob. Come on. <laughs> I guess, but that's like one of my, uh, that's one of the reasons why I keep arguing the movie itself is muddled in what it's trying yeah. to accomplish. Yeah. It wants to present the Warrens in a heroic way, but ultimately, they're kind of irrelevant to what happens in the end. Sure. They help Arnie Johnson, sure. They help David Clatzel, but like they don't technically beat the witch. I mean, they do some stuff that maybe puts the witch in a position where the witch will be sacrificed, but the witch still kind of wins. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Justin, is this? Are you done now? Like, would are you still invested for more Conjuring movies, or is this movie broken you? I I wouldn't say it's broken me. Um, it's 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 complicated um you know it's definitely how do i say this uh i i don't think i'll be paying to see these movies anymore um because i don't fuck i don't even know what i'm trying to say really um i don't think it's broken me because um, Quality-wise, objectively, this movie wasn't bad enough for me to um, say, I'm done. I'm done watching them. Huh. Um, I think... I don't know. Honestly, I don't, I don't, I don't have a good answer for that. I, I, you know, I, I, I want to say, I, I, I say that, yes, I'm done, but, you know, this is still kind of fresh, Right. Yeah, no, totally. I, I, you know, I don't think, let me, let me just be clear about, I don't think watching these movies and paying for these movies is on par with something like paying for and watching Jeepers Creepers three or any of the Jeepers Creepers. (laughs) No, no, definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like 
The Warrens are I fucking. I mean, Warren technically, food, Ed so. might be similar to Victor Salva, depending on very what true, story very true, yeah. But, right. You know, they're they're both fucking cold as the clay that they're in right now. They're in hell if there is a hell. So they're not getting any money. Like they're not benefiting from 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 me watching these movies. So like, uh, part of me says, what's the harm in me, a person who understands that it's bullshit watching these movies. On the other hand, I don't know how comfortable I am supporting a movie that does what this these movies do. And I, I, I think that a pretty strong case has been laid out in this episode alone for how dangerous these films could be to the quote unquote untutored minds, such as Liam before, you know, he met us. Yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I don't know, because it, it, the, the thing is, is like, if you remove that aspect from these from these movies, even if you if you remove that aspect from this movie, um, I I don't think they're bad enough. Like you're talking to a guy who has seen every single Transformers movie on opening sure. night. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I clearly am not the type of person who learns um, the burned hand teaches best does not apply to me at all. Like I yeah. will always watch bad movies knowing that they're going to be bad movies. Um, I think for me, it's not, a mo it's not a moral thing. Like I don't, I don't want people to mishear me and be like, I'm judging everyone. Like I watched this. I mean, granted I watched it on HBO max, but I watched this movie. What I'm, I don't think it's that for me, the, the first movie is not only just very well done and actually scary, it doesn't ask me to love the Warrens. It's not about the Warrens right. in that way. It's not pushing me in a direction. And for me, this kind of hagiography is hard for me to enjoy because it's asking me to put all of my narrative investment into the Warrens. It's about them in a certain way. I mean, it's not just about them, but it, it is about them in a certain way as a way to move this narrative forward and for me to be invested in future movies, which is hard. I get it. One of the things I heard from people who were, when I said how much I thought this movie sucked, a lot of people who like these movies were like, well, I love uh, Vera Farmiga and uh, Patrick Wilson. And I'm not going to lie. They're great. I wish they were cast as random non-specific supernatural <laughs> detective couple who did things and i would watch that movie and be like oh this is a fun fiction film that doesn't involve anyone's actual death and suffering but uh but that's not what happened here and so my my uh I do think this is dangerous in, in a more of a social way, but my response to it is more of distaste. It's gross. This is a gross thing to do to me in my mind. It's it's it, it was a poor decision to really ramp up on this third movie and say, this is the one where we're really going to make them the superheroes. I, it just it's gross. I think it's gross. And so that's why I'm yeah, less I invested. Mean it's 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 definitely let me be clear it's definitely scuzzy and i will say it definitely crossed a line for me and it made me um it made the bullshit a little bit harder to swallow a lot more hard a lot harder to swallow because like even in the conjuring 2 when ed warren takes out the guitar and they do that elvis cover like i watch that i'm like God damn it, they did it again. They fucking did it again. They fucking made me love Ed Warren again. God damn it. <laughs> in this, like, in, in I mean, in this fictional movie, Ed Warren seems great. The, 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 yeah. the fake Ed dude. Warren seems awesome. Fictional Ed Warren is a guy I would fucking hang out with, like, at a bar, because he wouldn't pressure me to drink and he would buy me a Shirley Temple. Fictional Ed Warren, <laughs> a.k.a. probably real-life Patrick Wilson, is a fucking amazing human being. Um but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. It's it's these movies. They they cross a line in a way that the other ones don't, and that 
they're it's they pick a hell of a hill to die on. They pick a hell of a hill to die on with this movie when it comes to like the the the, the Arnie Johnson case and the fact that they could have made this movie with him as sort of like a tangential figure who's just like like a human MacGuffin, just on the outskirts, and they just talk about him, you know, and he's just like Arnie, whatever. But the fact that this movie went to such great lengths to humanize him and to make him this like tortured victim, a fucking victim, is it's I don't know. It just it's 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 filthy in a way that these other movies aren't. That I can't right, I, I so. can't quite verbalize how I feel, but it's, it's fucked in a way that these other movies aren't. Right. So to that point, um, portrayals of Arnie Johnson and all store, all of these stories are as a victim. But again, if you actually look in the facts of the case, he was most likely the aggressor. People at the time reported, um, that he had threatened people in his apartment complex with a knife. He had been fired from his job as a tray surgeon twice before. The second time he was fired, he cut up a stuffed animal and left it on the guy's car. So the guy clearly had something emotionally or mentally wrong with him. And the portrayal you get in this film is not accurate to who he was. So changing the context for him as well is troubling. But um, I do want to push back on the idea that I would be done with the series itself. I don't want them to stop making these movies. That's not why I am doing this episode. That's not why I wrote the article. Um, I'm basically a free speech absolutist in the sense that like, say what you want, but the point of, you know, freedom of speech is freedom of speech, not freedom from speech. So people should come out and point out the inconsistencies in these stories every time the Warrens release a new movie. So even if people in the horror community roll their eyes and say, oh, well, I guess we have to hear it again. It's like, actually, you do, because the stories that are being told are not accurate. And what they are doing is valorizing a couple who, in this instance, tried to cover up a murder. And then even worse, we're probably a party to child abuse. The part of the story that bothers me maybe more than the stuff with the actual murder yeah. is with David and Carl Glatzel. So years later in 2007, when they um, actually sued Gerald Brittle and Lorraine Warren, they came out and stated, um, David and his brother Carl Jr., that David had been suffering from undiagnosed mental illnesses at the time. So yes, in yes. changing the context of this story, what the Warrens were actually doing in that original case was they were preventing a child with um, suffering from mental um uh, decreased mental facilities who was suffering maybe from schizophrenia, maybe bipolar disorder. They don't, they never specified, but a child who was suffering, they prevented him from getting medical care. And not only that, they indulged his delusions to the extent that he could have been traumatized for the rest of his life. And if we're to believe the stories that were told in the lawsuit, he was because the way they portray it, his brother states that David had to suffer with this story his entire life. People had to, he had to go through life with people knowing he was a kid who was possessed by a demon. What kind of like, how much would that fuck you up if you were a kid? Mm -hmm. Not only that, but Carl himself was essentially slandered in the story where they said that he threatened to kill his mother and he was physically abusive to his sister. So like the Warrens, the way they portray this, I don't want them to stop telling these stories, but I want them to maybe be more responsible in the stories that they pick. Don't pick stories where they're trying to get murderers off for killing someone. Don't 
pick stories where they're going to event, uh, essentially cover up child abuse because that's what happened in this case. Those are the facts in this case. By all means, keep releasing these stories. But if you're going to pick stories like this, understand that people will continue to come back and tell you, hey, this is wrong. This is not what actually happened. The Warrens were probably abusers in this situation. And multiple other situations, I'm sure. Like, the vibe is very not great. Um, Yeah, no, no. I'm not saying these movies should get banned. Let's be clear, y'all. Oh, I'm Uh, not saying they should be banned. What I'm saying is... No, I'm 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 not saying that either. I'm just saying it's the the movie's gross, and I'm I'm no longer interested. The same way I'm no longer interested in Taco Bell. You know, it's like, you know, that's great. What did Taco Bell do? It, it's gross to me. I have the same level of gross. Oh, okay. That's, that's yeah, I thought they did something mind. horrible. What? It's, it's you the don't same. like Taco Bell? No, it's gross, man. I mean, I, mean, it's I, I don't like them anymore. To be, fair, to be fair, not as gross as McDonald's. McDonald's is the bottom of the barrel for me. Um, but is. Taco Bell, it's, you know, it's, it's, I was in, I was in a little bit. I'm like, yeah, it's fun for road trips, whatever. It's fine. But I just got to the point where I was like, nah, I'm out, man. It's too gross. I'm not, I'm not stoked on it. That's how I feel about this. Like, again, I, I don't want anyone to hear any high moral thing here where we're like, you know, they should, they should stop making these movies. No, like you can, you guys can make all the conjurings you want. I'm no yeah. longer excited. I, I, I mean, and maybe that's my fault for for being excited. But I really like the first Conjuring. I don't like the second one as much as Justin does, but I I don't think it's terrible. I was kind of stoked on this. I kind of thought like, oh, third Conjuring, this might be fun. I really like these actors in in these roles. I don't love that it's the Warrens, but who knows? Maybe I'll have fun with this. And I did not have fucking fun, so I'm out. I'm done. They can keep <laughs> they can keep making them for all of time, and they probably will, honestly, unless one of these does bad financially i think they'll keep making them because they, they they want they're invested in these characters i just personally am no longer excited about it uh and because i just feel, feel like this one was just it, it went to a place that i wasn't really invested in and, and it bummed me out it bummed me out a little bit look they'll bring me back if they do one where ed and lorraine warren fight rock and roll music fight a oh, satanic cult true. of rock that's musicians true. that's true so, you know, that would be conjuring for sympathy for the devil <laughs> yes <laughs> Well, uh, we, we've been going for like two hours here. We should probably wrap up. Well, no, I want real quick. I want I want to talk with Rob about the um, the portrayal of the Warrens. You know, we, we've made veiled references to child pornography. And right. Right. Well, yeah. Let's talk about the fucking f- bullshit facade that is presented in these movies, albeit a very sweet one. That is this idea that Ed and Lorraine were happily married. Right. So, um, I'm going to be careful how I dance around this because um, the way this claim came out was as part of the lawsuit that Gerald Brittle lodged against uh, Lorraine Warren in 2017. In a deposition, a woman, and I'm not going to give her name, you can look it up because she's never given the story publicly outside of the deposition, so I don't think it's appropriate to give her name in this circumstance, but she... Um, essentially claimed that at the age of 15, um, Ed Warren, I guess you could say groomed her, and they began a relationship when he was a bus driver in Connecticut in his mid-30s. And at that point, she eventually moved into the Warren house while she was still underage and lived with Ed and Lorraine for the next 30 years or something like that. Um, There are... um, there is some evidence to suggest that people outside of just Ed and Lorraine knew this um, in, uh, I forget where Gerald Brittle references it, but 
he mentioned that she was a, she worked as a liaison for um, Ed and Lorraine, so she does actually have a legitimate connection to them. Um, but, you know, the idea that Ed and Lorraine had a happy marriage is called into question because in her deposition, not only does she mention that, but she also mentions that Ed was physically abusive towards Lorraine. So there are a lot of examples um, just from her testimony alone where you can conclude that Ed may not be the good person that he was portrayed to be. Um, and Lorraine probably wasn't either because there are other accusations that, um, you know, this woman went through some terrible things. Uh, she went through a uh, terrible experience and Lorraine was probably less than sympathetic to her as it was happening. Um, and Lorraine was clearly, if this is true, um, knowledgeable about the relationship because this young woman was living in the house with her at the same time. I believe at one point she said Ed would spend one night upstairs with Lorraine and one night downstairs with her. Mm. Yeah, so that's one of those things where the portrayal of Ed and Lorraine as a loving couple is probably not entirely accurate. Other people have come out after as well and said that the way they're presented in these films isn't the reality of their relationship. And I can totally buy that just based on the fact that what we know about them, they don't necessarily seem to, the way they present themselves is often in conflict with the reality of the events um, that occurred. So this isn't the only case that people have called what they said bullshit. You know, lots of other cases. Uh, Justin mentioned one, Brit, uh, and I mentioned the Brittle case, but there are other examples where people have since come out and debunked or called into question their cases. The Enfield Haunting, the second film, um, has also been um, called into question multiple times by different parties. And it, at least to public perception, looked like a family trying to cash in by exploiting the British tabloids, you know, desire to find sensational headlines. So the idea that Ed and Lorraine were not good people is probably closer to the reality of, mm -hmm. it's probably closer to reality than what we see in the films. And it's interesting because in the films, like the core of all of these films is generally the relationship between Ed and Lorraine. I mean, it really is, but it's it to the point now that it's weaponized that like that is the tool. I, again, I, I just, you know, it, it's gotten to the point where, does this movie even work as uh, as Christian propaganda? Because the, the the true savior is the deep love Ed has for Lorraine. Uh, you know, the blood of Jesus is secondary to the love that Ed and Lorraine share for each other. Right. And, uh, you know, I of course it is. Of course it is, because that sells more. It would be less effective to people if it actually came down to something blatantly Christian. But on the other hand, wow, they really pushed it in this one in a way that I just found to be kind of amazing. I was not expecting them to go that way. I thought there'd be some cool doohickey, some relic, something with the bone of a saint in it, something that would <laughs> connect it back to the tradition that they were supposedly defending, you know. It's all about love, man. Yeah, all all you need is love. All you need <laughs> is love. Apparently. <laughs> That's how you fight the devil with love. Uh uh anything else that we need to hit on before we wrap up here, Rob, any any other important points that we should leave people with regarding this movie, the Warrens, uh, anything else? Read my article. Yeah. Everyone should check out Rob's <laughs> article in uh, Diabolique for sure. Yeah. Rob, <laughs> uh, read the uh, article. It goes more into depth. 
hype up your yeah where where, where, where just where could we find you like i know where to yeah, find you, you. So, i know where you fucking live i will come find right. you if someone else wanted to find you put out put it out in the world okay so foremost i am an associate assistant i don't know what the exact title is something editor at diabolique um so i will generally be posting writing there at least once a month um, I have something probably coming up on UFOs very shortly. Yeah. Um, but most recently I did the article on The Conjuring, which goes into the facts on the case to try to find out what really happened and who actually killed Alan Bono. So you can find that there. Uh, if you want to be privy to my insane ramblings about UFOs, gang stalking, conspiracy theories, whatever, follow me on Twitter at Robert Scavarlo. You have a really cool, I like your avatar because it's Jose Chung's from outer space. <laughs> it is, yes. So that's how you know I'm a weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, Rob, thank you so fucking much for doing this. Um, it was such a fucking joy to, to, to talk, talk to you about this stuff and to just shoot the shit. Um, yeah, I just, it was really fun. I really appreciate it. I, you know what? I'm not going to let Liam speak. I think Liam appreciates it too. We'll just take his word for it. <laughs> Uh, okay. Yeah, I like Rob a lot. Shut the fuck up, oh, Liam. Liam. I said, we, yeah. Um, all right. So, thank you guys for listening. Um, like we said at the top, if you want to go to Patreon, if you want to become a patron, patreon.com backslash cinepunks, you can head to cinepunks.com to listen to more episodes of this and like a bunch of other fucking great podcasts and a bunch of great articles by people who were cool and they do cool shit. Um, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at repairmanxjack. And Liam at Liam Rules. You can find Harbiz's on Twitter at theharbiz666 and on Instagram at theharbiz666. And uh, until next time, fuck Ed Lorraine Warren, learn hell. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah. It's a good ending. Do you scan the night sky in search of unidentified aerial phenomena? Do you lose sleep over strange projects funded by the CIA? Ever wonder which orifices ectoplasm comes out of? Come explore the unexplained and unexplainable with us on our podcast, Weird, Obscure, and Possibly Unsafe. We'll talk about telepomancy, haunted railroads, sentient umbrella spirits, mind-altering video games, remote viewing, SpongeBob conspiracy theories, and only gets weirder from there. Each episode will share three stories about all the weird things they tell you not to believe. Weird, obscure, and possibly unsafe. Available anywhere you get your podcasts! Hey! Hey.